Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Happy to be able to say that after a couple of months of uh, not being able to gather together. Let's begin today by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day where we're able to open the church up again and be with one another. We uh, ask for your protection when it comes to the COVID virus, both for us here and for our entire community. And Father, today we also want to pray for our country, the United States of America. We want to thank you for uh, providing that great lift, no pun intended, with the uh, spaceship going up, spaceship, the rocket going up into orbit yesterday, the first time the United States has had a rocket in orbit in a long time. We thank you for that shot in the arm. But Father, we also want to pray for our country today as we're experiencing great violence and strife in our cities. We would pray, Father, that cooler heads would prevail, that your love would flow through the hearts of Christians and that others may understand that only by forgiving one another can we ever get out of this mess. We also pray today, Father, for all members of our congregation. We pray for those who are sick, who are experiencing financial difficulty right now. We pray for those who are grieving lost loved ones. We pray for those that are having difficulties, mental difficulties, spiritual, physical. And we just pray for your touch of healing on every one of us. And we also ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Um, once again today, since we are face-to-face finally, I want to express on behalf of the congregation our gratitude for Steve Pomeroy for all the times he stepped behind this pulpit to teach. He said he was bummed out he wasn't able to get into the second half of Daniel where he can talk about all his theories on eschatology, but that'll have to wait for another time. also want to thank everybody here for your prayers, for your well wishes, your cards, Uh, It's meant everything to me as I'm recovering. I am doing a lot better, in case you're wondering. Um, But please keep up with the prayers. I do have a couple of battles that I still am facing. All right, every month we have a missionary organization that we feature, as many of you know. Um, This month has been Village Ministries. Please uh, check them out on their website. Please be generous if you can. Please keep them in prayer. I um, want to just spend a minute, I think most of you already have gotten this information, but just so where everybody hears it, including the authorities if they need to, um, concerning the COVID-19 precautions, um, we only want people here who are healthy. If you're sick, or even if you have underlying conditions or of a certain age where you feel like it could be compromising, please just stay home, and we, of course, broadcast live. While we're here, we are doing the social distancing by keeping six feet away. Please ask everybody to do that when we're not here. We we can't monitor that as well. Um, Stay six feet away from non-family members, biological non-family members. We're all family in the Lord. Um, Wear your face covering, except here. We have hand sanitizer. Probably you all saw that. Um, Please, for the time being, um, don't get too close to one another and avoid touching, handshakes, bear hugs, whatever it is, um, for the time being anyway. Hopefully things will settle down and get better information about what does and doesn't spread this virus. Um, I also ask personally that you stay away from me. Because with my, with my cancer um, and the treatment I'm on and my state of health, I just want to be careful. You know, there have been pastors who have kind of, because they, so many people are around them, they've actually contracted it. And a few have died. So I ask you to please respect my 
personal space, as they say. You know, this week we don't have coffee um, or food service. That's because we don't want, again, give an opportunity for people to be together too closely or to touch things and all that. So please just bring your own. You're invited to bring your own coffee. If you don't drink coffee, you can bring Sprite or whatever it is you like to drink. Um, and that's, I guess, about it. So again, once again, um, very happy to be back. Very happy to see you all. And uh, one other announcement, um, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper next week. It's the first week of Sunday in June. Um, we're going to have uh, some new uh, communion elements. They're like self-contained in packages. That way we can be like the fast food places to say this has been untouched by human hands. So we'll be passing those out. So I think we'll be good with that too. Just pull, up, just pull that out. There's a, there's, a, there's a communion wafer on the top and then there's the cup on the bottom. Pretty, pretty cool, right? Yeah, pretty efficient. All right. So again, welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. As we begin today, we're in 1 Corinthians 12. The title of today's message comes from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm sorry. comes from 1 Corinthians 15. And this morning, it's in, if Christ has not been raised. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until you think about not having it. I don't know, many of you probably know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You know how towards the end when George Bailey is, you know, he's in despair and he's about to jump off the bridge, you know, he gets visited by an angel. That angel shows him what life would be like without him. And once he sees all that and he comes back, he's like so enthusiastic and excited. Well, that's kind of what we can do today when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Paul in this section, and we're going to be in chapter 15, if you want to turn there now, verse 12. In this section, he's going, to, he's going to say, well, what if there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of any human being, well, then that must mean that Christ wasn't raised from the dead. And if that's true, then all of these other things follow, like a bunch of dominoes being fallen down. And then at the end, hopefully we're going to look back at that and realize, you know what, Christianity wouldn't exist if it weren't for the resurrection of Christ. But thank God he did, was risen from the dead. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's begin by hearing this passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Now, he's not talking here about the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about all the believers in the future. He's saying, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead for the rest of us, not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if it's impossible for anyone to be raised from the dead, any human being, and that means Christ wasn't raised from the dead. So we'll see that in more detail. Now, if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is vain. All of the preaching of the apostles. That means that book in front of you, all the writings of all the apostles are in vain if Christ isn't raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. What we claim to believe is false if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Moreover, we, the apostles, are even found to be false witnesses of God. Wow, what an indictment that is, to be a false witness of God. Of course, the world is full of them now, okay, those who deny the orthodox teachings of the Bible. 
Moreover, we even found to be false witnesses of God because we had testified against God. If Christ hasn't been raised, that means we're testifying against God because we're saying God raised him from the dead. We're testifying against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead humans are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. He repeats himself. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. We're going to see that resurrection of Christ is going to be tied together by Paul in the book of Romans to our justification. No resurrection of Christ, no justification for us. We're still in our sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died, Christians who have died, they've perished. They haven't just died physically. They've perished completely. Why? Because there's no resurrection of the dead if, if what they believe is true. If we have hoped in Christ, I want you to think about this for yourselves or all of us, if we've hoped in Christ for this life only, in other words, if we, if we, if we consider that, you know what, um, I, I don't know if Christ rose, rose from the dead, but I'd still want to follow him now, well then, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the situations we've had with friends and relatives where they separate from us because we're Christians and all of that, what's the point? If there's no resurrection of the dead, we might as well get all the gusto we can out of life right now. If we hope, have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. All right. Once again, let's anchor ourselves in the major point of the whole chapter. Paul in chapter 15 is dealing with, very comprehensively as we'll see, the bodily resurrection of the dead. Now because he starts out with the resurrection of Christ, a lot of people think that that's the main subject. But it's not. Okay, We're going to see that, they, that the people who have questioned the bodily resurrection of the dead are not questioning the resurrection of Christ. We'll see that. So the issue is, not, not whether Christ is risen from the dead, although he's going to use that today as his, as his way of showing their illogic, but the real issue is our Christian's bodily resurrection of the dead, our hope, our hope that Jesus will appear in the clouds and will be the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with Jesus always in bodies that have been transformed into bodies of glory like his. The great hope. That's what chapter 15 is about. But now here in verses 12 to 19, the portion for today, Paul's going to use logic. He, he's, he does this a lot. We've seen this already, where he just uses logic, because what's happening is, is that we'll see why, but that people are not being logical about what they believe. Believing comes with it certain implications. If you say you believe something but you live the opposite, then you're illogical at, at best. Okay, so he's going to use logic. Stop, think. Why? Because he's going to expose the fallacy that some say that there's no resurrection of the dead. That's what we're going to see this morning. But he's going to base his argument on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And what he's going to do is he's going to show that it is illogical. Illogical. In other words, bad thinking. See, up till now in the book of 1 Corinthians, remember, we've seen him deal with bad behavior. Really bad behavior. Going to idols' temples. Um, men cavorting with prostitutes. And many other things as well. Behavior. But now, in chapter 15, he's zeroing in on thinking. 
So when you, when you zero in on thinking that's bad, you have to correct it. And one great way to do it is to show somebody's illogic, that they're not even being logical. That's what he's going to do today. He's going to say, listen, it's simply illogical to believe that Christ was raised from the dead and yet claim that there is no resurrection of the dead. That makes no sense. Now remember, again, he started, and we saw this in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 15, by refreshing them on the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. When he did so, he emphasized the resurrection (laughs) to make sure they can reflect on the fact that they believe the resurrection of Christ. He was raised from the dead. And then here's a lot of other evidence that he did. In other words, he's solidifying what they already believe, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. In verse 11... You could look there now. Just back up one verse. We see that the apostles preached the gospel. All of them. The Corinthian saints believed the gospel. Including the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. Notice 1 Corinthians 15.11. Whether then it was I, Paul, or they, the other apostles, so we preach, and so you believe. They believe the gospel. That's what verse 11 says. And the gospel includes the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. So the saints believed that Christ was raised from the dead. That's our starting point. They did. They believed that Christ was raised from the dead. And yet some among them say there's no resurrection of the dead. Uh, You know, generally speaking, that human beings are not raised from the dead. But how can that be? How can you believe that Christ was raised from the dead and not believe that it's possible for any human to be raised from the dead. It's simply illogical. Now, we're going to see that the whole crux of this is going to be based on something that Paul doesn't talk about directly here, but it's based on the fact that Jesus Christ is human. We're going to take a look at that this morning. But here's the thing, okay? How can it be that you can be illogical? Real simple. There are times when our preconceived notions overwhelm our logical thinking. Boy, is that true. Boy, is that true. Our pre, here, their preconceived notions coming from Greek culture and philosophy about the dead, about the dead bodies, overwhelmed logical thinking. They didn't want to think about the implications of believing that Christ was raised from the dead because it would go against what other preconceived ideas they had about the body. And, and, and we're going to see that. They were not willing. It was a matter of will. Their will not to accept the clear implications of what they believed. Again, they weren't willing to accept the clear implications. It's a simple argument, by the way. Okay? He's going to really draw it out to make the point. But the simple argument, if Christ was raised from the dead and Christ is human, then how can you say that humans don't rise from the dead? Simple argument. But they wouldn't accept that second thought, the fact that, yes, we had this resurrection of the, of the bodies of Christians, even though that was a clear implication of what they believed. Now, before we start to judge them, we should look in the mirror. I mean, who among us can say that we always accept the clear implications of what we believe? None of us. Let me give you an example. We believe that the Lord will take care of all of our needs. Everybody here believe that, that the Lord will take care of our needs? He says it over and over again in the Word of God. 
Now, the clear implication of believing that God will take care of all our needs is that we should never be worried about anything. I won't have you show, won't have a show of hands. But is there anybody here this morning that is never worried about anything? I didn't think so, including this guy. So if we were willing to accept that Christ and the Lord is going to take care of all our needs, we would never worry again. And yet we do. Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, listen, forgive one another just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now we believe and we love the fact that we are forgiven of all our sins, but the clear implication of that is that we are to forgive one another. Oh, wait a minute. I gotta, I, that's the hard part for me. I, I know it's logical, but my, my will doesn't want to accept that yet. Maybe in a little while. Maybe when I grow up spiritually. That's why we always have rationales for why we don't have to accept the clear implications of what we believe. So let's not be too hard on the, some among the Corinthians who did not accept the implication that their dead are, really, are raised. Now, again, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's his argument. If there's no such thing as a human being being raised from the dead, they're saying that, you know, when, when the body goes into the grave, that's it. And we're going to see that we don't even want it to come back. I mean, you know, if you think about like Halloween and the, you know, the goblins and the, the, what are the people that come back from the dead, the walking dead zombies and all that? Well, that was their idea. They said, we don't want any part of that. However, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And he certainly isn't a zombie. Very simply, if Christ has not been raised, therefore, there's no Christianity. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, there's no Christianity. I'm going to prove that to you this morning. And if there's no Christianity, I don't know why we're here today. I don't, I don't know why we opened this building and had us all come in the midst of a, of a virus. If there's no Christianity, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we might as well close our Bibles and never really open them again. We might as well just start living like the rest of the people in the world. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we will soon die. And that'll be the end of everything. See, if we don't believe the resurrection of the dead, it is the end of everything when we die. Now, the link here. I want to make sure you understand this. There's a link between the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And that link is the fact that Christ is really human. Really human. Now, you know, these days, actually, this, it's, when we look at the person of Christ, and the Bible tells us that he's true humanity, and he's undiminished deity in one person forever. These days in the world, okay, they're willing, many are willing to accept that Jesus lived and that he was human. They're not willing to accept he's God. Back then, though, and a lot of people that were willing to accept he's God, but they denied the fact that he was human. They said, it's nice to have this spiritual tale. We're glad that God's son came. He's God. And, you know, he, 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 you know, he, he blessed us spiritually and all of that. But we don't buy this body thing. We don't buy he was a human in a human body and that he died physically on the cross and that his body was raised from the tomb. A lot of them back then, because of the influence of their preconceived notions, okay, what they had been learning in Greek philosophy, for example, okay, didn't allow for that. Said the body was evil. So they wanted to put that aside. No, he wasn't human. Well, of course he is. He was raised from the dead in a human body. So we're going to begin this morning with a short teaching 
on the humanity of Jesus Christ. This was a much longer teaching until I realized that if I included it in all its size, that we would be here till 12 o'clock, and my leg would be paralyzed, and then <laughs> that wouldn't be good. Um, but he is true humanity, undiminished deity, and one person forever. To give tribute to Aaron Pomeroy, he is not 50-50. He had a teacher at Bible school and went to school that told him 50-50. Well, 50% human cannot die for the sins of the world. 100% human, 100% God. True humanity. It's hard to get our, our, our mental arms around this. We're not intended to. There's just some things that we have to believe God, who's greater than all of us, whose ways are higher than our ways. But the fact is that Jesus Christ is true humanity. It wasn't always. The Word became flesh. Okay, there was a time when He was the Son of God, had not yet taken on human flesh. But now, at the right hand of the Father, He is true humanity and undiminished deity. He is God in one person forever. But how do we know He's human? Now here I'm going to go through eight points and I'm going to give you scriptures, but I'm not going to have you turn to them. Why? Because we'd be here for a long period of time. And you'd see me sitting down like three times during this service. All right, why is he human? Well, first, he was born of a woman. That's the Christmas story, born of the virgin. Okay, Galatians 4 talks about that. Born of a, of a woman, born under the law. Okay, that's the first thing. I mean, if, if you're born of a woman, you're human. That makes sense? You know, despite some of these horror movies that we've seen with other things being born. If you're born of a woman, you're a human. Okay, number two. He was of the line of David. Now, David was a king. He was a man. And his line was preserved all the way to Jesus Christ. But this was a human line. We're going to see. He, he, he came from, this was his great, 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 great grandfather and so forth, all the way down to him. He was of the line of David. Well, God isn't of the line of David. Human beings are. Now, Jesus is. He's both. But my point is, is that when you understand about, wait a minute, there's going to be a human being on the throne of David, okay? And Jesus is of the line of David, and he is that Messiah, then he's human. You can see that in 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 9, and Luke 1, 30 to 33. He is of the line of David, destined to reign on the throne of David forever. Okay, number, th- number three, number three, in kind of related to this, okay, I'm, I'm just stalling for a minute because I know you want to write these things down and make sure people got it. Related to this is his genealogy. Genealogy. You know, um, there's a TV show where people are, are brought to this expert on, um, on what's it called? Ancestry dot, you know, all that. Yeah, family trees, and they go back. And they, well, that's Jesus has his family tree all the way back to Adam, documented in the Word of God in the Gospel of Luke. He also has his family tree documented all the way back to Abraham. So, in other words, Abraham, why? Because he is the Jewish Messiah. Adam, because he's human. You see it? We have both of those. Complete genealogies. In other words, no generation is skipped. Matthew 1, if you want to see it, 1 to 17. Luke 2, Luke 3, 23 to 38. Again, Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Luke 3, 23 to 28. Four. Jesus had a human body. 
Now, one of the reasons we know that is because after he was born, he grew up. His body grew up. He developed like any other human child. We see that in Luke 2.40 and Luke 2.52, where we see Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom and stature. Okay? God doesn't grow. All right? God is already infinite and all-powerful and everywhere present. He's not growing. He's not becoming God. But Jesus Christ developed and grew up where? In his humanity. He's 100% human. Fifth, not only the body, but he had a human soul and a human spirit. He would say in the Gospel of Matthew that his soul was deeply grieved. Okay? That's human attribute. He had a human soul. When he's on the cross, his last words are, Into your hands, O Father, I commit my spirit. He had a human spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's his human spirit, just like we have one. Number six, he exhibited many, all the characteristics, actually, of a human being. I'm going to go through these. You can put these scriptures down now. I'm going to tell you what's in some of them. Okay, all of them, actually. Luke 22, 44. John 11, 33 to 36. <coughs> Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. If you want to start somewhere, start in Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Then you can go to the others as well. All right, so what does it mean to have the characteristics of a human being? What are we talking about here? He suffered. He suffered agony. That's Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44. Agony, the worst kind of human suffering imaginable. That was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he actually sweat blood. You know, sweating and blood are two features of a human being. God does not sweat blood. It was the humanity of Christ that was suffering so greatly at that moment. He was hungry at times. He was thirsty at times. He grew weary at times. These are human characteristics. He had human emotions. He had grief and sorrow when he, was, when he went to, to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he met Lazarus' sisters. He grieved. He was sad. He wept. That's all human attributes, human characteristics. And he was tempted. He was tempted. He became in all things like us. He took on flesh and blood for us. And he was actually tempted in all things, the Bible says. That's Hebrews 2. So that he could be our high priest. In other words, he was human. He went through all of the things that we go through and more. In his humanity, his tests, his sufferings, his trials. That, there was more than one reason, but one big reason was that now that he's at the right hand of the Father, no matter what we go through, no matter what we're experiencing, he can understand, he can sympathize with us. Why? Because he's God? He is. But the reason he can sympathize with us is because as a human being, he went through all these things. All right, so a couple more. Seventh, and these are kind of things we already have covered, but he died a physical human death. The Gospel of John, we won't turn there, but in chapter 19, verses 32 to 34, we have John, the writer of the Gospel, who's also an eyewitness, the only, that we can see, male disciple that was at the cross. They were women. But he documented the fact that when the soldiers went to the bodies on on Calvary, and they went to, to actually break their legs so that they would die 
before the Sabbath started. When they got to Jesus, they didn't do that because the, the people who were experts on death said he's already dead. They certified to the, um, the governor, the procurator, Pilate, that he was dead. Now, if he wasn't dead and he, they did that, they'd be dead. But not only that, there's this incredible description where John says this, one of the soldiers stuck a spear in his side and out came water and blood. Now, John didn't really didn't know this at all. He wasn't a doctor. Luke was. But, and they didn't discover this for hundreds of years later. But the fact is that when you die of crucifixion, okay, it's such a trauma to the body that once you die, the blood separates into platelets and water. That's what he saw coming out of the side of Christ. Amazing. He died physically. His body was buried in the tomb. He had a body. He died. That body was buried in the tomb. He was dead. Okay. Finally, and this, of course, is our subject, he was raised from the dead on the third day. But he was not raised from the dead as a spirit or as a ghost. Like the apostles at first, when they saw him, they couldn't believe that he was in a human body. They thought they were seeing an apparition, a spirit, a ghost. But he didn't do that. He was raised from the dead. Yes, it was glorified, but it was still a human body. You know, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the hand marks where the nails went in your hand and the, and the place where the spear was into your side. Well, when did that happen? On the cross. Jesus Christ died. He's a human being. When he came back, he still had those aspects of his body, only now it was glorified. It's glorified, meaning what? He could walk through walls. He could be in one place and instantaneously be somewhere else. He would be ascending into heaven 40 days after he, when he rose from the dead. By the way, one day we're going to have a body like that. My current condition, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> in any event, um, that's in Luke 24, 36 to 42. Christ is really human. Okay. If Christ is really human, and there's no resurrection of the dead in human bodies, guess what? Christ could not have been raised from the dead because he's in a human body. Does that make sense? Is that kind of pretty logical? I hope so. They didn't get that. Well, they may have even thought it, but they couldn't accept it because of the the ideas they had about the human body. All right, let's go stay. We're already in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start reading again 12, 13, and 14. Now, if Christ has preached that, there, that he had been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no... It wasn't all of them. Some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Now, see, here's he's going to extend the argument. He's going to say, I want you to think logically going forward from the fact that if Christ... Wasn't, that Christ wasn't, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then what? He's going to talk about more implications of not believing in the resurrection of the dead. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. The, all the preaching that the apostles, all of the, the, the truth, quote, if he wasn't raised, it wasn't truth. Forget it. Okay? Useless. Not only that, but our faith is in vain. Everything we say we believe is not true if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. By the way, I want to give a quick note for those of you that um, may have studied um, Greek conditionals, you know, if-then. A lot of you have studied that. Well, here's a surprise. 
We have a series of Greek conditional sentences, if-thens. But here's the surprise. They're first-class conditionals. What that means is is that you can't translate a first-class conditional as if, and it's true. Because he says here that if Christ, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You can't say if there's no resurrection of the dead, and it's true, because it's not true. That makes sense? So if you think that way, change your thinking a little bit. It's for the sake of argument. Let's suppose that it's true. I'm getting a little little, um, uh, detail-oriented with this, but I think we can take it from this passage and use it other places. I just want to point that out. Okay. These are not true. Christ has been raised from the dead. There is a resurrection of the dead. All right. Now, but let's suppose, this is the first class conditional, that they're right. That some of them have been saying there's no resurrection of the dead. What follows? I'm going to use some diagrams now. Kind of change things up a little bit. Because I want you to picture the step by step as we go forward. If Christ has been raised, okay, why do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? This is the problem statement. This is what he's going to attack. The second part. That some among them are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. That's the first step. Notice that um, that Christ, has, if Christ has been raised, they believe that. How can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? All right. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Now, as he goes forward from verses 13 to 19, he's going to argue. He does a lot of that in, this, in his letters. He's going to say, listen, that statement you just made, there's no resurrection of the dead, must be false, notice this, if the gospel is true. Why? Because the gospel includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, second diagram. Look at verses 13 and 16. I'll read them in a moment. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. I put this up, and I want you to see this in yellow, because this is going to be the linchpin. What does it mean? If Christ has not been raised. If you believe this, then it follows that this is true. But if this is true, what are all the implications? We're going to take a look at that. He's going to spell them all out for us. Again, look at, he repeats this, by the way. Verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. <laughs> Verse 16. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. See, he wants them to be clear about the implications of what they believe. Okay. Now, that's verse 13. (laughs) But the rest of the time here, verses 14 to 19, he's going to spell out, he's saying, look, if you think, if this isn't true, and there are all of these implications, and he's going to go through them one at a time over here, in verses 14 to 19. So it's kind of a simple logic, okay? If there's no resurrection of the dead... Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, check this out, check that out, that, that, and that. And all those things are in verses 14 to 19. Pretty simple and straightforward. Just want you to see it as a picture. Let's watch now as all the dominoes fall if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, look at verse 14. Our preaching is vain. <laughs> 
don't know why this clicker's not working, but it's not. No, 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 I gotta, I need something to appear now. There it is. First, first implication, if Christ has not been raised, Paul's preaching is in vain. Paul's preaching is in vain. Again, to preach Christ is to preach his resurrection. Paul preached the resurrection of Christ wherever he went. He preached the resurrection of Christ wherever he went. Read the book of Acts. He went here and there. He always preached the resurrection of Christ. So if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, Paul's preaching is in vain. He was even persecuted. Think about this. He was persecuted because he preached that Christ was raised from the dead. If that wasn't true, then all of that was in vain. It was useless. It was empty. It was for no reason at all. He got persecuted for no reason. He preached in a place called Athens. Now, Athens, let me show you where Athens is. Probably hard to see. You don't need to see too much, though. This is a map of all of his travels, okay? Here's Athens. My hand's not that steady, but that's Athens. Now, he went there and preached, and that was a place full of idols and philosophers. Quite a combination. We have that in our country today. We have a lot of idols, and we have a lot of philosophers. Everybody thinks they're a philosopher today. In any event, he went there. The reason I bring this up is because a lot of the most famous philosophers in history came from Athens. Okay? But what, what were they saying? Well, most Greek philosophers taught that the body was evil. The body's evil. It's a prison for the soul. So what death is, is freeing up the soul from the body. The soul is saying bye-bye to that evil, horrible human body, and now it's free. That baby goes into the ground, never heard from again, and now the soul is free. So if you believe that, well then the resurrection of that dead body was a ridiculous. Why would you ever want to take an, a, an evil prison and bring it back and then stuff the soul back into it again? Can you see that when you have a preconceived notion that's going to color things and override your logic? They may say, yeah, Paul, I kind of get the logic, but I am so grossed out by the fact that a dead body could come back. I don't even want to, I don't even want to consider the implications of what I believe. We're, you know, we all do that. We believe we're Christians. Don't we say there's no Jew or Gentile? Today I would say there's no white or black or yellow, but we are all one in Christ. But a lot of Christians don't accept the real implications of that. See what I'm saying? We still carry our prejudices around with us. So it's hard. It's hard for people to get over their prejudices. But I want to tell you something about Athens. Now, that's Athens, but guess what that is? Right, just across the isthmus here, okay, it separated the whole continent from this set of islands. Well, right across is Corinthians, Corinth. Point is, is that Athens and Corinth are really close to one another. As a matter of fact, they were only 65 miles away. Now, yes, it was more of a journey back then. But basically, Corinth was closer to Athens than New York City is to Philadelphia. Pretty close. Now, since that's true, that Corinth was right around the corner, and by the way, it still is, uh, from Athens, okay? That meant that, remember, there were educated people. Remember we saw this? There were people who thought they were the best and stupendous, and they went into the church, and they thought they were the best, and the other ones were dumb peasants and so forth. Well, those so-called educated, so-called cultural elites, that were, some of them were in the church, they followed the teachings of the philosophers. So they also said, you know, the body's bad. The soul is in prison. 
in the body. When you die, man, oh man, that soul is free from the body forever. By the way, that's a very popular misunderstanding today in Christianity. A lot of people today don't, a lot of, at least in their practical thinking of things, they don't consider the fact that the, the soul is not going to be separated from the body forever. Okay. A lot of people don't believe in the rapture. A lot of people today don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay. So that, again, education, these are the troublemakers, remember? These are the ones that were causing the trouble. These are the ones who thought that they knew more, that it was okay for them to go into idols' temples because, you know, we're sophisticated, right? We should be the leaders, of, and we're better than these other people. Well, they really weren't better, right? Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. The least among you is more qualified than the most educated and cultured elite in Corinth when it comes to judging. Remember that? Okay, so... But notice, remember, Paul said, how do some of you say? In all probability, these were the some who were saying that, the ones that were following the teachings of the philosophers about the body being bad. Okay. Now, let's keep going here. How do some of you say? If Christ has not been raised, we saw this, all of Paul's preaching has been for nothing. But in addition to that, if Christ has not been raised, look at, verse, look at verse 17. He repeats it. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Paul's teaching, worthless. Your faith is worthless. If Christ, let me tell you, everybody, if Christ has not been raised, then all the things we say we believe are false. You know, how, how can we be in union with the resurrected Christ if he didn't raise, wasn't risen from the dead? How can we say that Jesus Christ is going to come back in his humanity and rescue us if he wasn't raised from the dead? How can we say that he's going to come back and he's going to rule for a thousand years if he wasn't raised from the dead? Everything else that we, that we say we believe is false if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Our, our, we haven't been justified. Notice what he says at the end. You're still in your sins. Your faith is worthless. And you're still in your sins. Think about that. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we have not been redeemed. We're still in our sins. We're we're no better off than any unbeliever if Christ hasn't been raised. I want you to look at um, Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. I want you to see what it says. Almost done here this morning. Romans 4.25. Here's some of the things that if Christ hasn't been raised... You know, George Bailey had never been born. You know, look at all the horrible stuff. Well, verse 25 of Romans 4. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised, why? Because of our justification. In other words, because we've been justified, he's risen from the dead. So if he ha- his logic, if he hasn't been risen from the dead, therefore... We have not been justified. I don't know if, if you've ever studied logic, but there are certain things that have to be so. If you say, if A, then B. Well, if, B, if not B, then not A. If I say that um, if my pet is a dog, then I'm a dog. If I'm not a dog, then my pet wouldn't be a dog. Silly example. My brain, you know. I wish sometimes my dog weren't a dog, but that's another story. So in other words, you know what? He was, if he was raised 
because of our justification. If, he, if we, ha- we have not been justified, if he has not been raised from the dead. Again, I'll put it in, you can see it. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, that means we have not been justified. What's justified? It means we've been declared righteous by God on the basis of the fact that all of our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. If that's not true, then our sins haven't been forgiven. If that's not true, we have not been declared righteous. If we have not been declared righteous, we're still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins, we cannot ever go to heaven. That's the whole idea why Christ came and died and was raised from the dead. We are still in our sins and we always will be. <laughs> if you want to see that, I won't have you turn there in the interest of time. But you can go to John eight twenty four at some point where Jesus says the same thing. Here he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. <laughs> not only that, but in verse 15 we see something else. Moreover, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we apostles have been found to be false witnesses of God. We're saying something about God that isn't true. That's right up there with the people that say that that God doesn't love us. Or that God is a stern taskmaster. Or that God picks some and, and condemns others. See, those people are teaching things about God that aren't true. They're false witnesses against God. Moreover, we, if we're saying Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he hasn't, if we're saying God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he didn't, we're false witnesses of God himself. We're testifying against him that he raised Christ. Imagine if he didn't, and he's hearing these people walking around saying he did. See what I'm saying? If he didn't raise, if he didn't raise Jesus, if the dead are not raised, now let me read it to you again. Moreover, we have been found to be false witnesses of God. We're lying about God because we testified against God to you that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise. If in fact the dead aren't raised. There's that logic again, unassailable. The dead aren't raised. Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Therefore, if we're saying he was raised from the dead by God, we're lying about God. Paul is saying this. Either Christ was raised from the dead, or we all lied. It's that simple. And I want to think about it. If, we, if they all lied, what does that mean about the Bible? Because it's, the New Testament, by and large, is written by apostles. And in fact, all the, all the Gospels say that he was risen from the dead, raised from the dead on the third day. All Paul's letters talk about it. All, all, Peter talks about it. The book of Revelation assumes it. John was an apostle. He preached the resurrection of Christ. If that didn't happen, then they're all liars. They're a bunch of liars. The people that wrote our New Testament are a bunch of liars. That's what he's saying. Either Christ was raised from the dead, or we all lied. Look at verse 18. If Christ has not been raised, then now we get to the, the heart of the issue. The dead in Christ have perished. They perished. All those people that preceded us, all of our loved ones that were Christians, are Christians, all the ones that we're hoping to see again, in bodies, by the way, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, that is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Anybody who died in Christ is perished, gone. Never to be seen or heard from again. If Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now I want you to notice there's two things here, just so we're clear. They fell asleep in Christ. That means they died physically. And something else. 
they have also perished. In other words, perished here is not just dying physically. It's far worse. It means they've been obliterated. They've been completely destroyed. Not only that, if you understand the, um, the necessity for Christ to die and be raised from the dead, you understand that if that's not true, then we're all going to the lake of fire. Okay? Could perish. Worse than physical death. Destroyed. All right. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. This is what will not be true if Christ is not raised from the dead. This is the great passage on the rapture. A great passage on the rapture. But if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, you can throw out 1 Thessalonians, the whole book, but in particular chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. We're going to look at the first two verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14. What if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, the dead, in Christ. So that you do not grieve, notice, as to the rest who have no hope. If this doesn't happen, none of us have hope. If this doesn't happen, what Paul's about to describe, the rapture of the church, if that's not going to happen, none of us have any hope for ourselves or for others, for those who have preceded us in death. For our, for our beloved parents and grandparents who are Christians, friends that have already gone to be, we're never going to see them again if, there's no, if Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. What are we talking about? Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, with Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, not the end. But why? Because Jesus died and rose again. If you throw out the fact that he was raised from the dead, then you can say God will not bring those who have fallen asleep, the dead, with Christ. Hope you can see that. Implication. If Christ did not rise from the dead, there's no hope for any dead saint. There's no hope for us. There will be no rapture. George Bailey, right? If he didn't live, I forget all the things, but if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, there's no rapture. Think of all the implications of what they were saying, what some in Corinth were saying, that there's no resurrection of the dead. If that's true, Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, then throw out all these other things. Throw out the fact that there's going to be a rapture. Throw out the fact that we're justified and so forth. Verse 19. If Christ has not been raised, two more things, what are they? Our hope in Christ is for this life only. It's for this life only. There's nothing beyond that. Yes, maybe he was a great teacher. Maybe that there's things we can live by. But that's just for this life. And, you know, it's kind of, we can be casual about it. Because when we die, we die. It doesn't make any difference, right? But, that, but, let, but if our hope in Christ is for this life only, man, we're the most pitiable people in the world. Everything that those people are saying about us, you know, about how we're deluded and how we're foolish, it's all true if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. It's that simple. If there's no resurrection of the dead, saints have made fools of themselves. All the great saints throughout history have made fools of themselves. They've said things that weren't true. They've dedicated their life for a phantom. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, that's all false. The saints have made fools of themselves. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ hasn't been raised. And all the saints in history are just fools. They sacrifice their lives for nothing. Think about all the great creatures who, creatures, Christians, who have been martyred over the centuries 
If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, that was foolishness. That was for nothing. They did that for nothing. For a tall tale. That's what people are saying these days about what we believe. Ah, that's just a myth. Yeah, maybe it didn't even exist. Then come on, there's nobody can be raised from the dead. That's foolishness. That's baby talk or whatever else they say. That's wishful thinking and all that other stuff. Well, guess what? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead on the third day, they're right. They're right about us. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, the gospel is a lie. No one can be justified. There's no salvation. The apostles were frauds. The Bible is not the word of God. We have no advocate before the Father to intercede for us. There's no hope for the dead in Christ. There will be no Messiah and no kingdom. Okay, wake up out of the terrible nightmare we were just in. Christ has been raised from the dead. And there is a resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, the first one in a line of people who will be raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we'll all be raised in a fantastic body. He will transform the body of this desperation into bodies like his own in glory. It's all true. The nightmare that Paul painted here as a, as a, as a hypothetical is not true. All the things that he said, if, if the dead are not raised, all of this would be true. It's not true. Why? Because he has been raised from the dead. And that's what we celebrate. You know, if, um, if I hadn't fallen um, ill, we probably would be teaching. I taught this probably on, on Resurrection Sunday. But that's okay. Every day is Resurrection Day for us. Why? Because everything that we believe in is tied to the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for allowing us to go into the depths with Paul's logic to really refute, hopefully for anybody, the fact that anyone would say there's no resurrection of the dead. Thanks for bringing us out of that with our eyes open, with a new appreciation for all that Christ accomplished when he was risen from the dead. We look forward to the rest of this chapter now where Paul is going to talk more and more about the fantastic truth that we will be raised from the dead ourselves. And we again ask, for Father, for your protection and healing for our people and for our country, for all the members of our church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thursday, Bible study, 6.30, on Skype. If you don't, if you don't have a, uh, I don't know what it's called, an account, a link, uh, whatever, um, just email Mark. Okay, that's his email, mark at lbible.org. Um, Thursday is more Bible teaching. There's really no excuse these days because we're not doing it face-to-face for obvious reasons. All you got to do is get on your computer at 625 and sit there. You can eat me eating dinner. We're not going to know because we don't have the cameras on. Okay, so please join us. It's a great subject. The eternal security of the believer. Something else that we need to have rooted all the ways that the Bible teaches in order that we can be strong and confident in that truth. Because again, that gets attacked within churches all the time. So we really need to be strengthened. And that's what Thursday night we're doing right now. So please join us if you possibly can do that. All right, just want to remind everybody that um, we, of course, do continue to have 
um, financial responsibilities. And we rely on the gifts by grace of, 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 of you and other people that um, want to support the teaching of the Word of God, want to support our ability to support missionaries, want to support others who are here that have different needs. So we would just ask you to be as generous as you can. Remember the principle is, since God has blessed us, then we have the privilege of blessing others through giving. Okay, we do have, we still have that box in the back. Um, you can send us by mail. You can go on our website. Okay, but please, please do whenever the Lord puts it on your heart to do so. All righty, if you have any questions today about the gospel or anything else, I do not invite you to come up here because I will not be sitting down here for obvious reasons. What I invite you to do is to send me an email. Okay? And we'll do it that way. Pretty straightforward. You might say, well, okay, but what's your email address? I'm glad you asked. It's pastor at lbible.org. Pretty straightforward, right? All right. By the way, if you want our mailing address, that's it. Many of you know that. Some of you may not. Lighthouse Bible Church, 4213 North Federal Highway. Here we are, Pompano Beach, Florida, 33064. All right, let's close one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways you've blessed us. And we know that you're going to be gracing us out for all of eternity. And we just, uh, in awe of that, we just don't have words to express it. We don't have the capability to really understand it, but we take it as true because your word says it, and we take you at your word. At the same time, Father, we're living in this fallen world. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. But he also said that, don't be afraid, I've overcome, I've conquered, I've defeated the world system. So we rest in that. We pray for our fellow members of the body. We pray for our country this morning, Father. And we pray for ourselves, for all our needs. And we just ask, Father, most of all, though, that you would keep our spiritual eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. We ask it in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. I can finally say that again, because there's people here to be dismissed. Enjoy this day. We'll uh, hopefully see you all on Thursday at 6.30 on Skype.